I want to talk about this scripture that was assigned to me. Ron gave me a choice. I didn't have to take this one. And as I was preparing this sermon, I wished I hadn't taken this one. <clears throat> because it's a, it's a scripture that talks to people like me. You'll understand after we read it. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never heard what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up. Stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Well, today I'm preaching to the preacher, and I feel pretty uncomfortable. As Ron indicated to you, in, in, in my small circle, I'm considered a bit of a religious leader taught college, Christian college, taught seminary, ran a little university, preached in the church. You know the company that places me in? The Pharisees. I'm one of them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this is about. Now elsewhere, Jesus warned people about people like them and people like me. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's in Matthew 16. Beware of the Pharisees. Now, it's not just because of their teaching that he's saying that. But it's about their propensity to divide and to subdivide the religious principles until you're left at the end with nothing but a long list of do's and don'ts. As if that's religion. The real contest in the New Testament isn't between Jesus and sinners, not at all. It's between Jesus and people like me, religious leaders. It's not just their teaching that Jesus stands against, as I've said. It's, it's their attitude. Because the Pharisees, you see, really are his kind of people. They, they take their faith seriously. They study their scriptures. They want to be good. Theirs isn't just a Sunday go-to-meeting kind of religiosity. They revere the scriptures. They devote themselves to serving God, as Jesus did. 
but they fall in prey to that destructive attitude that can insinuate itself into the thinking of deeply religious people. No, that yeast, that yeast that Jesus is talking about isn't, isn't their teaching, it's their attitude that's poisonous. They've gained a certain expertise in the scriptures through their study of them. They can quote them, they can quickly spot people who are in violation of them. In the name of religion, they've become religious nitpickers. Judges who know when some law or other is being violated. And they're very quick to point it out. They've mastered the game of gotcha. They're good at it. Well, notice the movement in this passage. The, the first passage <clears throat> opens with their charge against Jesus. They notice that his disciples are, are doing something that they think is against the religious law. It's a slight infraction, just a little thing. They're, they're plucking some heads of grain, rubbing them, eating the grain. Such a natural thing to do. But you could refer to that, if you want to, as a kind of harvesting. And if it's harvesting, it's working, and it's not to be done on the Sabbath. I always grin when I read this passage, because I grew up in Oregon, a little place called Tillamook. Anybody ever hear of Tillamook cheese? Ah, <laughs> Five times now, Ron, five times I've been on, in, uh, what do I want to say, transoceanic flights, and I've been served. Tillamook cheese. <laughs> first time that happened, years and years ago, first time that happened, I wanted to get up and grab the microphone and say, everybody, let me tell you about this. <laughs> but uh, my wife was with me, and I didn't get to do that. But that's my hometown, Tillamook, land of cheese, trees, and ocean breeze, mud up to your knees, and weather that makes you sneeze and wheeze. That's my hometown. <laughs> and... Um, it's the most natural thing. All the, fields, all the fields in Tillamook are owned by somebody, but we don't treat them that way. It's nothing at all for us to pluck some grass and chew on it and violate the sanctity of another man's land. It's just natural. So that's, that's what Jesus' disciples are doing. And it's no big deal, except to the religious leaders, the religious power brokers who operate the same way that political power brokers do. They don't care about the grain. They don't care about the disciples. They care about exercising their power. What matters is that they get their way, and they force everybody else to their way, and they do it in the name of God. See why I'm uncomfortable? Verse 2, why? Why are you doing what is unlawful in the Sabbath? The Sabbath, the day of rest, forbids all kinds of things that they view as work. And Jesus responds, you think this is bad? I know something that from your point of view is even worse. And it was done by one of your heroes. And he tells him about David, who later became the great King David, but as a young man, was on the run. King Saul, who was given to fits of bipolarity, was in a rage. And he was out to get David. He wanted to kill David. 
David went to see the priest Ahimelech to ask for something to eat for himself and for his men. Well, the only kind of bread that the priest had was holy bread, consecrated bread, baked special to be eaten only by the Levites. The book of Leviticus calls this a most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. But when Ahimelech learned that David and his men were hungry, he fed them that sacred, consecrated bread. And it's as if Jesus is saying, so what do you make of that? He broke the law, your law. So Jesus found an exception. And the implication here, and he uses this, this honorific, the son of man. You don't understand this, but one greater than David is here among you, saying it's okay. Now, in, in this moment, I should insert a word about proof texting, because really that's kind of what's going on here. You, you've got your scripture, Jesus has his scripture. And we sometimes get caught in a trap those of us who study the scriptures, and we get caught in proof texting. My text trumps your text. There's a wonderful moment in a terrible movie. It's a difficult movie, Dead Man Walking. I don't know whether you've seen it. I used to teach a course in theology and the cinema, and there's a moment in that film that speaks to this. What makes the film so terrible is that, that a man killed a young couple, caught, he's on death row, he's going to die. He writes to a nun, he needs a spiritual advisor. And he writes to her and asks her if she will be his spiritual counselor. She accepts the assignment, she's scared to death, he's, he's not a nice man. And she doesn't know what she's in for, but she accepts the assignment and she begins to work with him and all of his not niceness comes out. But she's faithful to him. And in one scene, the very critical prison guard accosts her verbally. And he asks, tell me something, sister. What's a nun doing in a place like this? Shouldn't you be teaching children? Didn't you know that what this man has done? He killed them kids. And Sister Helen Prejean says, what he was involved with was evil. I don't condone it. I just don't see the sense of killing people to say that killing people is wrong. And the prison guard says, you know what the Bible says, an eye for an eye. And she says, you know, you know what else the Bible asks for death as a punishment? For adultery, prostitution, homosexuality. Trespass against sacred grounds, profaning the Sabbath and contempt to parents. And the guard knows when he's licked. And he says he ain't going to get into no Bible quoting contest with no nun because he's going to lose. Well, we all lose when our religion becomes a matter of bickering over Bible texts. Pretty soon we're bickering over minutia, kind of like Congress. That's not in the text, but it came to my mind while I was preparing this. Now, then the, then the narrative moves on to something more serious. 
Now we're not dealing with a little snack, but with real human need, a man's health. More than that, undoubtedly, his, his livelihood. He's handicapped in an era when society makes no provision to care for the handicapped. Earlier this month, Joy and I were, we were in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and that's where we came from to here. And while we were there, we visited with a CMF missionary, Becca Schaefer, inspirational young woman, left uh, the mainland, went to Thailand specifically to work with children with handicaps. She's become the foster mother of one who had dinner with us one evening. His name is Phil. He's 13 years of age. He can't get out of his wheelchair because he can't walk. Cerebral palsy. He can't control his arms and his legs and his head. And he's all over the place in that chair. And it was inspirational to me to watch this young woman lovingly take care of him. Her immediate goal is to help him to do something he really wants to learn to do. He wants to learn to feed himself. I don't know how it's going to happen, but she hopes to help him. Her ultimate goal is to help him to get to the place that he can get a job one day and be independent. I was, I was so impressed just to be in their presence and to watch this young woman who's dreaming of a future for this boy. But the man that Jesus said, stand up to, nobody was dreaming for him. He, he was handicapped. And in Jesus' day, people who were operating with less than fully functioning bodies were generally cast out, ignored, stepped over. They're damaged goods. They don't fit. And the Pharisees are so afraid Jesus might do something good for this boy on the wrong day. Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, once again draws them out into the open, moves them from pl private plotting and scheming to an open confrontation. Stand up, Jesus says. And then he turns from the, boy, from the man to, the, to these religious leaders and he asks, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy it? The suspicious nature of these religious leaders is, is brought into the open too. It says they were looking for that gotcha moment. And the truth is, we tend to see what we're looking for, all of us. All of us tend to see what we're looking for. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him carefully to see whether he would, in fact, choose to do good on the Sabbath. And the scripture says Jesus knew what they were thinking. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't take any supernatural insight. If you're the kind of person who's always looking for other people's mistakes. You don't have to have a, div a divine mind to figure you out. There was a woman in our church in Mesa. I've never forgotten this woman. Uh, she called the church office periodically to tell us what we were doing wrong. 
This woman, by the way, goes to every church I've ever been in. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the truth is nothing would please her. And so it seemed like once a month, maybe once every other month, she'd call the office and she would let us have it. And it got to the point that in, in the office, we kind of sometimes thought of things we could do to make her mad. It was very childish, I know. <laughs> and we... And when she would call, sometimes we would think, well, maybe this time she'll be mad enough to leave the church. She never did. <laughs> it didn't take any kind of supernatural insight to understand her. She majored in minors. That was her life. So Jesus doesn't need supernatural powers here to know what these men are thinking. So he responds. He's, he smokes out the charges. He puts... The critics on display calls a man forward, but it's not really about the man at this point. He's going to do what he needs to do for the man. What he's trying to do is to help the religious leaders because they've been whispering, gossiping, scheming, looking for a way to bring Jesus down. He doesn't get trapped by that. He's a big issue guy. What is, what is the real law of God Jesus wants to know and wants them to know. You want to talk about the law? He says, in effect, let's, let's talk about the law. And which is lawful, to do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy it? Which is the law of God here? It's pretty blunt. Put it in political terms. Which is more important, to meet the needs of the people we serve or to make certain that the right political party gets the credit, gets the vote, wins the election? The Bible has a lot to say about party spirit. When we were young in our walk with the Lord, we were taught, and it was good teaching. We were taught by song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and things of earth will grow sadly dim in the light of his glory and grace. Wonderful song. Terrible, however, if we never get beyond that song. Because there's something else that we need to do, and there's no song about this that I know of. We need not to just look in his wonderful face, but we need to get up close and walk around behind him. And look over his shoulder to see who he's looking at. What he cares about. Whom he cares about. The real test of our spiritual maturity is not in our ability to quote scriptures and to catch other people out when they're wrong. The real test of our spiritual maturity is whether we are seeing with the eyes of Jesus Feeling with the hands of Jesus. Hearts beating with the heartbeat of Jesus. Now you can bring this down to, to family life. To our relationships. Even in our families. Wouldn't we rather be right? Or in a right relationship? With our loved ones. This preacher had to swallow his own medicine one day. Our son 
was off to college. He was at a university. When he called one day to tell me that he and his girlfriend had moved in together. Now, at the time, I was the, pres the, the, the pastor of a large church. I was the president in another state of a university. And my son called to tell me that he was doing something he knew I would not approve of. But he had his defense ready. He said, but dad, you always taught us to be honest. I said, I didn't mean this honest. <laughs> Which was a dumb thing to say, but I had to say something. What I really, I followed that with here, talk to your mother. <laughs> what was I going to do? I'm a religious leader. My own son was violating one of my principles, my understanding of what the scriptures teach. Of, of what would the elders say when they found out? And I realized that my son had put me in a dilemma. I had a choice to make. I could be right, or I could be in a re right relationship. I could say the words that would cut him off from me. And I realized I can't do that. He's my son. Now he knows what I taught him. He's going against what I taught him. But he is my son. And eight years later, when he died, I have to tell you how glad I was. We were still in a right relationship. And I loved him. And he loved me. And we both knew it. I'm not sure the Pharisees would have made that choice. I'm afraid this kind of talk this morning would make no sense to these religious leaders here because it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious. They were furious that he had the audacity to heal a man on the wrong day. So they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They were still convinced they were right. They were right enough to persecute and, as we know, eventually even to kill the man because they were right. They either couldn't understand or couldn't stand Jesus' whole approach to religion and to life. This is not a new thing. You ran into a similar thing in the fifth chapter of Luke where these religious leaders were complaining to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overheard. And he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. Now, we religious leaders, we, we sometimes act as if we think religion is just for us good people. What are you doing hanging out with those people, Jesus? Well, it may be true, you see, of religion, that religion is for good people. 
but it's not the rule for Jesus' disciples, and it's not the ones for whom the church has been organized. In fact, I'm convinced the church was organized for the sake of people not yet in it. And that if we only had a church of good people, (laughs) I don't even know you, but most of you would be gone. (laughs) We're not here because we're so good. We're not here because we deserve. We're here because of the grace of God. It's been so good for me to visit this scripture, prepare for this sermon as we were traveling. We were in Cambodia, just briefly, but long enough to be, remember, to be reminded of the killing fields of the 1970s. You or many of you old enough to remember this. One man, Paul Pott, a religious leader. His religion was communism. But he took seriously the teachings of Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong. And he was determined to apply those scriptures no matter what, no matter what happened to his people. He ruled four years. And in the four years, he and his henchmen wiped out 25% of the population of Cambodia. His own people. Because he was determined to be right. And so he wiped out the, the intellectual class. I was told that by the time he was out of office, there was one lawyer left in the whole country. There were 53 school teachers left in the whole country. He was going to be right. But they were murderers. Righteous in their own eyes. You can see why we have to take Jesus' teaching so simply, so seriously. And you can see why when we're sure we're right, we need to watch out. It could be that we're not right. Just self-righteous. Well, here's one thing we can be sure of. To do good is far, far better than to do evil. And our calling as disciples of Jesus is to save life, not destroy it. You can quote with me the verse we learned when we were children that we take an entire lifetime to learn to fully understand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. You understand? When we follow this Lord and try to obey his teaching, there's just simply no place for us to say, gotcha. Gotcha.